and welcome everyone to a Perspectives with Martina and Lissette. See, one day I'm I'm gonna say your name again, like Kentucky. You know, <laughs> L comes before M, and I, you know, it just it's just naturally how how the alphabet flows. <laughs> but yes, welcome back, viewers and listeners uh, for part two with Pastor Gabby. If you all have not listened or watched or done both um, of part one of our conversation with her, definitely you should go back and watch that. We talk about her journey from where she started in Dallas to Virginia, all the way to where she is now in New York. We talk a little bit about, you know, why did she want to get into ministry? And we talk a little bit about, um, talk about her, her, a special person in her life, which is her husband and how they came to be. Um, and so really, we're just going to continue the conversation. We want to spend some time talking about her church specifically and talk more about women in leadership. So I'll kick it over to Lisette started yeah yeah i mean i had not much more to add to what you already said martina i think we're just gonna dig right in and i know we left off uh last week uh or last episode depending on when you're listening to this um really kind of saying you know digging into um pastor gabby's church um that i think you said it was before years in november since you yeah. yes yeah. church Yep. Uh, but one of the things I, I mentioned off camera was about uh, really your your vision statement. And I was reading it on the website um, and I was like, this is amazing. Because, you know, you, you don't see, I at least haven't seen a lot of churches put something um, on here. And really just one of the things you put in here, and I'm looking at it because I had to pull it up. Yeah. was, you know, we envisioning Jesus movement committed to Black lives, an equitable political economy. Like, not a lot of people be put, churches be putting political economy right, right. You know, on anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, for all of God's creations, right? And, you know, and, and then you say prioritizes personal and public health. Like, I was like, I've, I have not seen that in any right. church visions or <laughs> or anything so right, right what brought that on like that was my question when I first saw it is like what brought that like uh, I mean you mentioned a little bit about your husband being very much into public policy I'm assuming maybe a little bit of that influence there but where did that come from both of you to really just put it on there as your vision yeah yeah first of all thank you for just kind of diving in and checking that out we um we recite our mission and vision every week, have been every week since we started the church, um, because it is so core to who we are. And, um, you know, whenever you start something new, you really have to make an account for why you exist and what you're attempting to do, right? I mean, there's a church on every corner. And so when you start a church, you really owe it to people to explain to them what your church's contribution is going to be to the church universal. Mm. So one of the reasons why our vision statement is so clear and so precise is because when you start a church, you have to be clear, um, especially if you're not starting it as a church that's been sent by some other congregation, or if you're not a church that's been kind of knighted by a larger clergy personality where folks just say, hey, if you live in New York, go here, right? Um, we started independently from scratch, um, from, from our own um, just kind of call. And so we really could not take for granted um, that people understood our why or that people, um, you know, understood, 
you know, what mark we want to double love to make in the world. The name of our church is the Double Love Experience Church. Um, and so out of that, we just got really clear about, well, what a vision statement is, what do you think is possible in the world because you exist? Mm-hmm. Like, because this church now exists, what is now possible, right? And so I think that church is a place where people get a lot of their political education, whether you realize it or not. A lot of our perspectives are formed by the sermons that clergy preach, by the songs that our choirs sing, by the lessons that our Sunday school teachers give to our kids. A lot of those assumptions are made um, in the church experience. And so what would it look like to be intentional about that kind of political education, right? Um, Our church was birthed in 2018 right in the midst of the movement for Black Lives. So what does it look like to have a church that is intentionally committed to uh, justice, right? And, and that language um, that, that makes sense to people is this for Black Lives language, right? So what happens when you put Jesus in the same conversation of for Black Lives, you get a really clear understanding that we are a church that centers Christ, but that also centers justice work. So we got t-shirts and mugs and everything that say we are a Jesus movie for Black lives. That's one of our taglines. And it helps people understand and locate themselves in a time where some churches were afraid to preach justice from the pulpit because they found it too polarizing, right? In a time where like Black pastors were sitting at a table with Donald Trump, you know, and these moments where there are politically polarizing things happening, we wanted to be clear about our commitments. Um, what we believe is possible as a result of us being in our lane in Brooklyn, doing our part. Um, So that's where it comes from. And um, like I said, we say it every week, personal and public health, my goodness, we didn't even know a whole pandemic was coming when we wrote personal and public health that took on new meaning in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, And, you know, but, but it's, but it's important to, to, have a vision for a holistic church, for holistic people, for well-rounded people. Our church is named after the double love commandment in scripture, where you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? So that's a holistic view of loving God. It's a holistic view of loving neighbor as you love yourself. So all of that um, is, is tied to who we believe we can be. Uh, do we get it right every single Sunday? No, because no church is perfect, but that's who we want to be. That's who we endeavor to be. And that's who we feel, you know, God has called us to be. That, that's amazing. Like I'm, I'm processing everything you just said, because it, it, it resonates so much with me as someone who works in, in public health and has seen, you know, what, what community can do to you depending on where you're at and then just what your personal health can could be impacted and, and like you said there's typically a church in every corner mm-hmm. right but not every church is intentional about what they do uh for their congregation for their community right and and to see you all put it there and to even like one of the things that came to my mind was did you see any pushback on sort of saying that commitment to black lives mm-hmm. you know especially yeah. at the time like in yeah the i mean like we had a lot of discomfort um that would come honestly from black people um mm-hmm. i never got any pushback from people who 
we're not African-American. Now, perhaps that pushback existed and they just knew not to bring it to me. <laughs> but I never got that pushback. I never got yeah. that. I never, I always in those spaces, oh, this is great. And mm -hmm. we too are committed to Black Lives Mattering. And this is part, yeah, I never got issues from there. Um, I, there was discomfort from Black people who were like, well, what does this mean for everybody else? Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. what I said to them is that it means exactly what it sounds like it means. Mm -hmm. This is an intentional space that is committed to black lives and everyone is welcome, mm -hmm. but we're going to be doing our intentional best work to combat all the things that try to kill black lives, period, right? And make no apologies for that. Um, but that was where much of the discomfort and pushback came from. Um, and I get it. I mean, I do understand that not every church is for everyone. Mm -hmm. And it, it sounds bad to say that as a pastor, like, you know, but it's true. Mm -hmm. And whether a pastor says it or not, they know that, right? They, they, they are, there are multicultural spaces that are very intentionally multicultural. There are spaces that are predominantly white, predominantly Latinx, predominantly black, like predominantly Asian. Like there are, we've always had churches that have had certain commitments, right? Um, it's rarely said explicitly. So somehow when you say it, it's like, oh, well, wait a minute, I feel uncomfortable. But it's like, well, what, what church have you been going to all your life? You've been going to predominantly black churches all your life. So why are you uncomfortable now that we say that we're prioritizing this work when it's what you've always been in? Right. So I think that that language, the same way the Black Lives Matter movement and moving for Black Lives language um, made some folks uncomfortable. That language, um, it, it takes away some of the uh, some of the surprise of the kind of work um, that an institution is going to do. And for some people that resonates and for others, it just doesn't. And so we definitely had our share of folks for whom it did not. Um, and we were okay with that uh, because we felt like the work that we were called to um, needed to go forth and whoever that was for would find it, would be connected to it. And whoever it wasn't for, you know, they'll find the church community that's best for them. Amen. I just want to say that that's so true. And, you know, since we're talking about, you know, Black Lives Matter and you're right, you know, you all were founded in the midst of that really kind of taking off and how, how the political climate was responding to Black Lives Matter. And then boom, we get 2020 where we had both a pandemic and a lot of civil unrest. Yes. And so how did you, um, as a pastor and your husband too, you know, how are you all, since you are, you know, this is your vision, like, you know, this is what you stated, like, you know, this is what we believe. Yeah. Not be fair, yeah. about it, it's for us. How did you all, how did you guide your congregation do that do like really like probably like the summer of 2020 was so yeah. so much happened just all across the world yeah. you know particularly here in the United States how did you you know how did you you know find the time and the and the energy to be able to be there for your for your congregation yeah yeah that's such a great question um yeah so I mean we um we were appointed to uh New York City Mayor de Blasio's uh COVID-19 task force for clergy um, within the first month of the pandemic, 40 person task force and, and we got tapped to be on that. Um, and things like that kept happening. Mm -hmm. and, and I say that not to be boastful, but I say it to say that when you are clear about your commitments, when people need you, they know how to find you. Mm -hmm. So our phone rang a lot because black folks were disproportionately dying from COVID-19 because people who were 
immunocompromised and had comorbidity, comorbidities, um, largely were black and brown people, um, and they needed to be supported in a very unique and specific way. Um, and when folks were looking for leaders who were already doing work at those intersections, Double Love was already doing that work, had been for two years, right? Um, and so what, what I found in the in the, the uprising of 2020, the racial reckoning that so many people called it, um, what I found in that moment was that really was an awakening for folks that were not already committed to this work. For people that were already committed to this work, it was another day. Right. And I literally wrote an article um, in the midst of uh, the George Floyd uprisings where I asked black people to stay home. This was very controversial because normally I'm in the streets. I'll be the first person out there. I asked Black folks to stay home because I said COVID-19 is already killing us. The police have just killed George Floyd. We're supposed to be quarantining. You have to remember May 2020, there's no vaccine. Yeah. May 2020, there's very little understanding. May 2020, New York City is the epicenter of the pandemic. I literally, colleagues were calling me, asking me to get my people in the streets, and I told them no. I said, we don't have to be in the streets for this issue. That's their issue. If they want to go out there in the middle of a global pandemic and be sandwiched in, you know, and, and, and with all of the things that were threatening our lives at that period, go ahead. But black people don't need to be killed twice. We don't need to be killed at the hands of the police and at the hands of this virus. Um, and, and, and so that was a really interesting moment where as a pastor, you know, I was very committed to preserving life, black life. Uh, whatever that looked like. And of course, you know, some people did still march. I, I did not. That was one of the first, um, you know, marches in the streets where I did not physically show up. Um, I showed up in other ways, but I just, I couldn't, I couldn't bring my people into the streets in the middle of a global pandemic uh, to protest cops killing us to potentially be killed ourselves two weeks later. My biggest fear was two weeks after those um, uprisings that we would hear, um, you know, droves of black people, not sick, but dead. Yeah. This is the same time period where 10 person funerals were all we could do and people were dying from those, right? The, these kind of super spreaders were mm -hmm. people, there were no warning, you were just dead, you were just gone, right? So. So, you know, I, um, I say that to say that, you know, with this work, it's so important to be discerning about how we're being called to show up for Black life. When you're a Jesus movement committed to Black lives, it's not going to be the same response to every crisis. Every response has to be informed with the best intentions in mind, and it's got to be spirit-led. Um, and so that's how I try to show up. That's how we showed up during the pandemic. Um, you know, and, and, and really, I mean, it's how we're still trying to show up, but, but you know, the response has to be different. And, and, and you know, I want to say to anybody listening, your response is not going to always get, you know, headlines where everybody's celebrating and clapping for your decisions. Sometimes these decisions are going to be challenging and they're going to go against the grain. Um, but if you know that that's what you need to do to keep your folks safe, like operate in, in the vein of safety if you're in the business of preserving Black life. You bring up so many good points, and one in particular is that you said 
for people who are already doing this work or who already live this life, this was just another day, unfortunately. But unfortunately. it's you know it's true for you know for for me and Lisette who are in public health and yourself. Um, you know, we know the statistics, we know the numbers when it comes to people of color, women of color, men of color, children. And so when we were seeing that, like, it seems like the rest of the world, people who were not of color, like the light bulb kind of went off. Some, sometimes it was like, oh, you know, African-Americans or Latinx are dying 10 times more than whites or whatever the statistic was. They found it really hard to believe. They were just really, I think, really taken back. And it was like, girl, I've been in public health for quite some time. And so unfortunately, again, this is not something I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm so happy to know. But these, this is data we already got. It's just it's some reason because COVID hit, now we got everyone is all up in Annie. We got the public health departments, we got hospitals. And this is, you know, we've already had all these comorbidities within our communities. Yep. And then, you know, all the all the civil unrest as well. It just came to a boy, it just came to a point, I think, with George Floyd and people of color just, I mean, we were already tired, but yeah. it's just, that was a year, just so much was going on. And I, the people were just so tired. And I'm with you, I'm, I'm one, um, I don't necessarily march, uh, but I am one, I will help in, in other ways. But I definitely was not out there marching. I tell you that, I would be sitting home, finding a way to support. Um, so I think it's very important that you were giving those messages to your, to your congregation. So mm -hmm. thank you for that. Yeah. I'll just echo what uh, Martina said, particularly because I know when those marches were happening in the summer of 2020, uh, Martina and I, you know, we had just kicked off the podcast and we were talking about like, do people not realize that the pandemic is here? Like it's right. not, we don't even know if it's safe for us to be out there. We don't know, you know, in, and to your point, like, we already are high on the statistics. We're already dying at a higher rate. And we put ourselves out there. And I remember some circles of friends or, you know, people that I that I know were out there. They're like, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, you just have to show up. You have to show up. And I was like, there's so many other ways for us to show up. So many other ways for us to really make an impact and then really kind of protect ourselves. Because we're like, these are the community. We're going into communities that are already under-resourced they don't have the access that other communities have and you know there were obviously things where you just saw the tick of numbers after some of these marches go up and you're like you're like what do you do so you know definitely to hear that you were like we're protecting the lives that we said we're committed to mm -hmm. um and we're gonna do it we're, we're gonna say and you know and really encourage people to do other things stay home you know and do that and and one of the things you said is when you're clear with your commitments you know like and it's so important to have that you know people will will know what you're about will know what that you will show up when you need to show up uh, but you also like hey we are we also have personal public health and this is a public health issue right you know like so we're gonna you know are you know to your point like you're so clear and, and i love when you say you know people will find you because they know what you are and, and to see that you know you know, government officials found you because you're like, hey, they are clear with their commitments, what they're doing. So it's just uh, great to like, to have heard you just say like, we are protecting the lives that we're at most risk 
at the yes. time. And they still are. Like, this is the thing, like, we still are. And they still are. are. Yeah, you know, that, that hasn't changed, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, you know, none of that has changed. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just great to kind of hear you uh, share that and, and to do that and, and to really kind of see uh, leadership that's willing mm-hmm. to take a stand because some people are, are swayed, like you said, like at a time where, you know, you had black latinx pastors out here aligning themselves with an administration that was completely against them and you're like and you're like to hear you say like yeah that's not what we're about (laughs) (laughs) and i mean i think you know people often go back to the civil rights era and sometimes they're chasing those photo ops so much that they're not bringing updated you know context to our experiences in, tw- in 2022 or 2021, 2020. So it's like, you know, you want to be the next Martin Luther King Jr. so bad, but this is the tactic that MLK used because this was the best way for them to get dot, dot, dot done. Is that the best way for us to get, th- do you even know what your goal is? Or are you just trying to, you know, get yourself on the front cover of the newspaper the next day? Like, I, I think that we have to just really or go viral, you know, on, on Twitter or what have you, be the next kind of Black Twitter hero. And it's like, we just have to bring more strategy to what we do. Now, I will march. I've marched. I've marched on the West Side Highway after Eric Garner. I marched with Trayvon Martin. I marched with Sandra Bland. Like, I will march because I was clear about what I was up to, right? Some of those were actual calls from the families. Like, the news is moving on. We don't have a response yet. We need bodies in the street, right? Like, it's just, there needs to be a strategy that makes sense and that you align with. And if you don't align with it, find another way to make your voice heard, right? So I, I, you know, for those who did go out, they felt like, hey, I've got to do this. Okay, you do that and I'll do, I'll take this piece of the work, right? So it's not to say I'll sit out of the work. It is right. to say you bring your, your strategy to each dimension of this work. The work is for a long haul, right? There's always going to be things, systems and structures that are bouncing up against us. Um, and we just have to make the decisions that make the most sense for ourselves. And if you're in leadership, um, for those that you also, you know, are responsible for. That's so great when you say there has to be a strategy. Has I to be. A lot of times... There's no strategy. <laughs> especially when you think in faith. Like in faith circle, the strategy is like, oh, God will, will find a way. Or right, God right, right. Like Jesus will do it. And I'm right. like, he's gonna do it, but you still gotta do something. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And Jesus has strategies too. All throughout the gospels. Strategy, strategy, strategy. Jesus is strategic. So yes. we need to be too. Yeah, so yeah, no, I, I love that. Martina, I think you were, I don't know if you were going to say. Well, I was just but... thinking, you know, kind of moving forward a little bit as, okay, now we're, we're basically at the tail end of 2022 and you're yeah. getting ready to come up to your fourth anniversary. Um, you know, how have you seen, you know, perhaps your congregation has changed or maybe stayed the same since, Yeah. you know, but even though we're still in the pandemic, there's still uh, injustices happening Mm-hmm. to our people um they're just not plastered all over the news maybe right now mm-hmm. but you know has your church changed or evolved in some way since yes this has happened? Yeah. yes so um you know uh, due to the pandemic rhythms of how we do church which are like 
you know, no congregation for 18 months. We had no congregation physically. Everything was virtual. Um, when we reopened our doors for church, they didn't come back. <laughs> like they just, they just didn't. I mean, some did, most didn't. Um, so that has completely changed how we do church because we are almost a completely virtual church, um, which we never planned for. Now we've always been virtual. That's from mm -hmm. the day we opened our doors. That's always been a component, but um, we are now mostly virtual. I, I, most of my members, I do not see in person. I see on Zoom, I see in the YouTube comments, I see on Instagram reels. Um, and I'll see them if something's going on in their lives and they ask me to show up for them. But, um, and they may show up for a special occasion. But apart from that, it is very rare on a Sunday to Sunday basis that I'm seeing my members physically. That has been a drastic and quick change. Um, and it's not one that I like, to be honest. I, you know, I'm, I love the physical dimensions of church, um, but it's a, it's a shift that kind of um, we don't have control over. Uh, you know, folks are going to do what they're going to do. Um, so as a result, um, we, we've really had to be even more intentional about how we serve folks digitally um, because the physical dimension is just, it, it's just very, very, very different. You know, and that's so, it's so interesting to me because I've I, uh, gone back home to Mississippi and of course have uh, been physically in, in the church that I grew up in like once or twice since I, I although I, I don't go home to home to Mississippi too often, but when I do, okay. my mom always wants to go to church. Of course, okay. I'm fine with it. You know, hey, let's go to church. Yeah. But to me, since growing up in that environment, like going to church on Sunday is such a thing, you know, yeah. and especially in the South, you know, like. You get up early, you know, you might go to Sunday school. Mm -hmm. um, then we have, you know, the actual sermon. And, you know, again, I grew up Southern Baptist. So there's always singing and dancing. And yeah. afterwards, it might have been, you know, some, something out on the lawn, you know, people just there. And so the whole thing of, you know, the the, the congregation part, um, it's a little bit, you know, missed in a way. But I, I do applaud you and other leaders in the church who are really trying to make a way for it because as you mentioned, it's not necessarily your choice, but this right. is what you have to do right now. Because I mean, again, all of us have been saying, you know, we may not have been where we were in 2020, but we're still in a pandemic and yeah. things can turn. We don't know how, how this is gonna play out. And so I think people still being cautious, especially, you know, if you are um, autoimmune compromised, if you're older, any sort of thing, I think people are just still at high risk for that. But I think it definitely is something, for, again, just growing up in the church, it was definitely, church was the place to be, you know, like on Sunday, uh, you know, it was uh, the place. yeah. And I think the honest reality too, you know, I, I also know that some folks were not coming back. It's not because of safety. It's because they had a year and a half with the rhythm of digital church and it works for them. Mm -hmm. So they're just like, because they're going out for other things, right? And so it, it's, it's, it's a little bit sobering, but it's true. For a lot of people, they figured out how to like get the sermon they need, how to, you know, engage with maybe their favorite church member by text messaging instead of seeing them online, seeing them in person or what have you. And they... They feel like that's good, you know, that's sufficient. Um, I personally still feel like there's no replacement for the in-person experience, but, you know, I'm a pastor. So, of course, I love being in physical church. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's also important to just make space for the fact, like, for some of them, it's not 
a health thing. They've returned to other dimensions of their outdoor life. Um, but church just didn't make the cut in terms of like what they are showing up for, you know, on a weekly basis. Well, they they weren't weekly probably anyway, if we're honest, but on a regular basis. Um, and, you know, it's just, there are some congregations where folks flooded the doors when the doors reopened, but there are a lot of congregations where people did not. And I think that the more like honest clergy can be about that, the more we can actually meet the moment that we're in instead of trying to create, you know, the moment that we miss. Um, and I am the first one to say I really miss it. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to lean into, you know, what is um, and not what was. As someone who um, consumes the word virtually now more so than anything, um, yeah, I think it is, right, a sign of the times where I see a lot of people, you know, you can listen to a sermon in your car because yeah. almost all churches have their sermons being posted. You know, I, I follow very different pastors. I'm about to start following you all. And hey. you my, <laughs> my rotation of, of sermons. Yeah. And, you know, and you're right. Like I make space during my week from when I'm going to, you know, listen to a sermon. So I'm going to watch this where I'm going to interact with other people and, and sort of doing that. So do you see sort of, you know, churches adjust maybe, maybe in the next five, 10 years? Yeah. Moving into this adjustment of like making space. So you said like, you have to make space for this virtual world, but just yeah. people finally, you, you're defining because you said two years of a pandemic, we're still in it. You know, you were forced to find different rhythms and different things to mm -hmm. your work, to do your personal life, to, you know, do your spiritual things. So do you see sort of maybe a shift in just church in general to kind of include this space of virtual? I think so. I think that it's happening. Um, I think the pandemic, when we were quarantined, it required everyone to figure something out. And now that we're past quarantine, um, most churches have still held on to some version of what they had going during the quarantine. I think the biggest challenge right now is what does hybrid church look like when the doors are back open, but people are still more comfortable with being at home, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I spent my first few months after we reopened the doors, you know, kind of begging folks to come back. Oh, come back. We miss you. Blah, blah, blah. I don't ask them to come back anymore. <laughs> I just, it's not that I don't want to see them. It's just like, I'm not going to be playing this game with y'all. Like, it's, it's like, if you don't want to come, it's cool. Just can you, can you log on? Can you, can you, can you send a smoke signal? Let me know you're alive. Can you yes. hit like on a post? Like, I, I don't have that same um, capacity to beg folks every week to come physically to church. I, I, I think I've gotten to a point at least as a leader where I understand that like literally that pandemic shifted norms in a way that we're just not going back. It's just not happening. So I think that a lot of churches are at different, there are different stages of that acceptance. Um, I mean, I, I, I also do coaching of clergy and I was coaching this group of clergy earlier this year, and I said, you know, it's time to start shifting our budgets, right? We got to put more of our budgets behind, you know, video, tech, and media people, because that's how we're being engaged um, more frequently than, like, our ushers, you know, and the fellowship hall and the meal after service. It's just, it's just a different way of being. So I think churches are on different 
all churches are in different phases of those journeys. And like I said, depending on the church, some churches have successfully reopened. I don't think we'll ever be without physical churches. I think there will be fewer. Mm. So some will survive physically and there'll be like the church in that region that if you want to go to physical church, that's where you go. But I think most of us are going to end up being predominantly virtual with some in-person capabilities such as visiting the sick such as marrying people burying people you know christening babies those things that folks prefer physically yeah um but apart from that i think it's pretty much going to be virtual experiences and some of the big churches where it worked for them to return that'll be where folks go to get their in-person experience thank you go ahead martina no, I was just gonna, I think uh, it's just, you know, just puts puts a lot on my mind. I think about uh, just, I know you don't have to be physical in a church to have church, but again, it's just like growing up in a church, you know, and just now things are shifted, which, you know, all of us are virtual, you know, well, in some capacity, you know, a lot of us are still working from home. I mean, you can telehealth, you know, a lot of things are, you know, just trying to adjust to the times that we're in. So that's just kind of what I was sitting here thinking, you know, it's like, um, I don't want to get rid of the churches. <laughs> you know, even though I may not physically be in one every Sunday, it's just, you know, churches are such a big part of, of this country and, you know, faith and who, who a lot of people are. And even just, you know, there's just beautiful architecture in general. So it's kind of thing that was going through my mind. And that's, that's what I had to say. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, it, it, it it's different. Like I remember being like, oh my god, how can you how you just watch people just preach and just like or watch them on YouTube or just listen to the car? And the more I did it, and the more just sort of, I don't think it's the ease of it. I think it's just you get to do it in a space where, for me as an introvert, I think I'll kind of clarify that as an introvert like I'm like oh I can take this in in my own my own pace I don't have to yeah. people don't have to tell me to like say hi to your neighbor <laughs> right 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 <laughs> all these different things that make me that's like real that's real <laughs> <laughs> so it's really sort of like for me it's such a personal choice where like but there are moments to your point Martina where I'm like you know what I should find a church to go visit this Sunday just to kind of get sometimes I miss the just the worship part of things and being in this corporate you know worship and listening and sort of the the echoing back and forth with uh the pastor and, and things like that so I think there to your point pastor Gabby I think there is going to be that hybrid kind of thing mm -hmm. of like the churches that people came back to are gonna continue and they're gonna stay yep. here but then there's gonna be those churches who whose congregation is gonna be virtual whose congregation is gonna be like hey and we, we'll come we'll come together to go for like a cookout or something you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. things like that but you know that weekly kind of gathering might look different right it might just be a smaller group of some church members meeting up here once in a while so uh it's definitely yeah, if, you're, if your congregants haven't come back by now i'm sorry to tell you <laughs> this is I, your I agree with you i don't think i'm they sorry to tell you if they not back yet um you have your answer <laughs> speaking as someone whose congregants did not come back in droves you know i can say that um this is our new normal and you just gotta the earlier you accept it the earlier you can you know make impact while you do still have a virtual congregation because that's not anything to take for granted either 
because yeah. people have all these options online. And if they're still choosing to spend their time with you virtually, that's huge, you know, and you don't want to run the risk of missing people in person so much that you ignore the people who do mm -hmm. make time for you virtually. And then you're going to look up and virtual and physical have moved on. So, you know, it's just a pulling off of the Band-Aid and figuring out, okay, God, how am I supposed to be carrying out, you know, your work in this season? You know, that, that's kind of where we, where we go. Awesome. Well, I think on that note, Pastor Gabby, we're going to wrap up this part two with you, which, you know what, took us in a whole different route than we had initially thought we were going to go in, but I loved it. I thought it was such a, a real conversation about just faith and, and, and church and the role that you play. And I'm I'm just excited to see, I mean, I, you guys are just four, you, four years in. You're still a baby. You're yeah, still a toddler. Yeah. We're getting to yeah. your toddler season. So <laughs> I'm excited to have met you. Uh, excited to see where your church goes and just following in that journey. And I will say, we're going to have you back. because I'm going to say, I would you, love you have that. a family now. You get, you know, this your family too. So yes, I would love that. I would absolutely love that. Uh, so Martina, I don't have any final thoughts or just anything. No, just thank you again. I, I agree with what I think, you know, we kind of had an idea where of where this was going to go and we just made a great kind of full circle moment. And so I really love you being honest and being real. Um, and you know, cause sometimes we don't always know if we're going to get an honest or real response. So <laughs> I thank you for just, you know, I could feel it. You were just really honest and you were, straightforward and again you have some great great advice that you've given and just tidbits of information and even just getting your thoughts on how the church is moving forward in general you know how we you know how they trying to be innovative in these times you know we still we're still in this at the moment so yeah you've given me a lot of food for thought and definitely can't wait to have you back so uh looking forward thank you all for just making space for um, amazing conversations for both episodes and definitely blessings to you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Well, to our uh, viewers and listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this part two with Pastor Gabby. Uh, make sure you're, you're following us. If you have any comments, thoughts, make sure to share them uh, with us. We'd love to hear from you. Um, but with that, we will see and talk to you next time. Bye, everyone.